Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Key Ingredient Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Michael Coolish. Dr. K is an ER physician turned healthcare entrepreneur. Dr. K, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. Excited to do this. Uh, you have a pretty amazing story that I look forward to sharing with our listeners and viewers. If you don't mind, maybe just tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, please. Sure. Originally from uh, Chicago, uh, born and uh, raised, uh, ended up going to medical school in uh, Chicago. Uh, my first desire or passion was to be a plastic surgeon. That didn't pan out, and I ended up being an ER doc, and that kind of changed my entire life. So I spent about 25 years in the, the ER in the, the western suburbs of uh, Chicago, after which uh, time I went ahead and went into administration, became the chief medical officer for a health system in the western uh, suburbs of uh, Chicago. Did that for a while. Had a couple detours while I was a doc. I actually had a building company. We built some uh, homes in uh, Lincoln Park. So always uh, dabbled in uh, things uh, from an entrepreneurial perspective. Uh, went ahead and actually did the chief medical officer role for about 13 years and then uh, started about three years ago my consulting company uh, to help both entrepreneurs as well as young professionals and physicians with burnout and primarily leadership development. Wow. That, there's a lot to unpack there. So thank you. Thank you. So uh, let, let's go back as we always do and kind of start from the beginning. So bring you back to your childhood. So you grew up uh, outside of Chicago. Yeah. Um, family, anyone physicians? I mean, what made you want to be a physician? <clears throat> no, no one physicians. Actually, uh, born uh, to uh, immigrant uh, Ukrainian parents. Uh, so my parents came over from uh, Ukraine okay. at a young age. My dad was 12. My mom was nine. They met here. Uh, so I'm actually first generation and uh, grew up in uh, something called the Ukrainian village in uh, the Chicago area. So very, uh, very ethnic. Uh, my dad was a chemist. My mom was a housewife, but my mom always wanted me to be a doctor so much to the extent where she would dress me up in these little doctors. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess I didn't have much of a choice. Uh, but, so I actually am the first uh, physician, but then my sister became a physician. Wow. My cousin is a physician who actually took over my ER practice and he now runs that in the Chicagoland area. My brother-in-law is a physician and I have one son who's in medical school. So oh, I guess wow. it just keeps rolling down that hill. Sure, know? sure. So when you were in, let's say, grammar school or going into high school, I mean, did you at that time, were you thinking you want to be a physician? I'm assuming you were a good student. I mean, to go that path, you have to be. But Yeah, yeah, no. So, so actually, it's a, kind of funny. When I was in eighth grade, I was choosing between being a lawyer and being a physician. I took a bus from Chicago Avenue down to City Hall, sat in in a court case, said it was too boring, and then just went the physician route. So I guess I made up my mind pretty early. Sure, uh, sure. And you said you wanted to originally be a plastic surgeon, I think you mentioned. Correct, so what correct. was what was the interest in that, and uh, what led you to end up being more of an ER doctor? So, so yeah, plastic surgery always uh, fascinated me. And, and you know, in, in life, everybody has a blueprint, right? So everybody kind of decides what they want to do. So my blueprint was plastic surgeon, a wife, two kids living downtown in uh, Chicago, uh, you know, a, a perhaps a Porsche for the weekends in a Mercedes. Okay. I ended up being an ER doc with a redheaded wife instead of a blonde <laughs> wife and only one kid in about nine cars. So, <laughs> but what actually happened was um, 
I'm an osteopath. So the difference between an allopath and an osteopath is same licensure. You're able to, to do everything. Uh, if you think of osteopathy, it's kind of like going to Catholic school and public school. Okay. In public school and Catholic school, you have the same curriculum. In Catholic school, you have religion. and osteopathy, you have manipulation on top of that. But it was very competitive to get a surgery residency. So during the match, the first go around, I didn't match. So I didn't know what I really was going to do because I put all my eggs in one bag basket, but it just so happened they were expanding the emergency medicine residency at that time, and I was fortunate enough uh, to get a spot. And once I started with ER, even though I took it as a student, I really enjoyed it, and it just kind of took off from there. So what ended up happening, we did all the inner city hospitals, Cook County, et cetera, and then after about a year of doing that, after the residency, me and three of my partners said, don't want to do the city anymore. No more knife and gun club. So we went out to the western suburbs and started our own group. And the rest is kind of history in terms of Demon. Wow. So tell me a little bit about the practice when you designed that. What was <laughs> what did the practice look like? What um uh, what was the average type of, of patient that you saw? What kind of you know ailments did they sure. deal with? Sure. So so ER is very interesting, right? Because ER is something as small as a paper cut, I'm being facetious, yeah. to obviously trauma or mass shootings or things of uh, that nature. So you really get the full gambit. Um, so it's, it, it's a young man's profession in the, the sense that it's, it's a very fast paced. Uh, you have to have a certain personality to truly be able to, not, not, not to study ER, anybody you know, can be able to do that, but to be able to run the, the room in the, the proper fashion. So you really don't know what's coming in, where if, if you're an internal medicine doc, you have your schedule, you could take a look, emergencies may pop up, but for emergency medicine, everything is an emergency. So sure. you always had to, to be prepared. Uh, Wow. So what were some of the more difficult type of cases, I guess, that you had? Because like you said, you didn't know what you would encounter every day, which I guess is probably from a wanting to help people point of view, a pretty exciting thing. I mean, you yeah. knew you knew that you didn't it was going to be a challenge no matter what. You didn't know what to expect. Uh, and you had to be on your toes, basically. Yeah, it, it's very, it, you know, it's exciting because you don't know what's coming through. And I think a lot of the challenging uh, cases were it's kind of like in life. You really need to listen and understand because you could walk into a room and you get a cognitive bias and you say, ah, yeah, sore throat, it's nothing. But I've had cases that were sore throats that when we dug deeper, ended up sending somebody for open heart surgery because the sore throat was really a heart attack. Now, you know, so sure. there's a, a, a vast array of things that you would find uh, within uh, the ER. Okay. So 25 years of doing that. Um, was it pretty much the same? Did it evolve? Did the business evolve over time or was it pretty yeah, consistent well, doing the same type no, of thing? No, so, so the business started just with myself and three partners right. and we would cover and obviously emergency medicine, all of us were board certified in ER. You got to cover 24 seven. So sure. it was a contractual relationship uh, with uh, the hospital. So it started with the four of us. We ended up picking up one other physician. And by the time I left, we were covering two hospitals. We had a hospitalist group, which is where we hired doctors and in internal medicine to cover the patients within the hospital. We had an occupational medicine uh, clinic. When I left, I think we had like 45 or 50 docs. So wow. it was something that we actually did grow. So you grew it quite a bit. So what, so 30 to, you said 30 to 50 docs. Yeah. So what was the overall staff? I mean, what would you, what would you guess how many, how many employees did you have? Well, employee-wise, yeah. we were very lean at okay, the time. So, you were. so administratively, okay. it was us. It okay. was me and uh, the three other guys, and each of us kind of found our own avenue. 
So I was uh, primarily the uh, president, dealt with all of the negotiations and with scheduling. One of my other partners was did all the finance. Then we had somebody else do legal. So, you know, it was funny. We were very lean. We didn't have a secretary. We didn't have anything. So it was, sure. uh, it was just. So you transitioned more into the running, running the business, <clears throat> Correct. You know, which is a great segue, obviously, to what you're doing now. But but it, it definitely shifted for you. Oh, yeah. And how were you prepared for that? Because most people, especially a physician, I mean, you 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 go to school to become a doctor. Right, right. And to help people, um, not necessarily to run a business. And that's a pretty big uh, transition, I would imagine. Yeah. It really is trial and error. Yeah. I mean, when you look at medical school, they don't teach you all of those things. They don't teach you things in terms of business. They don't teach you things in terms of burnout, which is really a problem in uh, medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, so it really was trial and error. It's like anything in life. When you want to succeed, you're going to fail at things. And sure. as long as you learn from those failures, you're going to be able to go ahead and uh, move uh, forward. So yeah. we were not uh, with without making mistakes. <laughs> oh, well, I'm <laughs> that, sure. That, that's for sure. So. Like any business. Listen, you make mistakes. You Like you said, you learn from it. You adapt. You make those changes. I mean, it's, not, it's not just a straight line up, of right. course. Um, so 25 years, okay, as a physician, and then you decided to retire from that field, correct? No, actually, what, okay. hap what happened was I did the 25 years, and then in uh, 2010, the hospital that I was working for, which was a uh, small health system, so it had uh, two hospitals and was advanced in the fact that it had a cancer center, a hospice, et cetera, okay. was looking for their first chief medical officer. Uh, and I threw my hat into uh, the ring there because I felt uh, that after the 25 years of medicine, I was getting tired. I was getting a little bit burnt out with yeah. something different. So I went truly into the administrative role. I held on uh, to Demi, which was the ER group at that time that is now run by my cousin, for about three years. And then I divested uh, to him and just continued with the administrative uh, role. So a completely different uh, picture. Unfortunately, at that time, because I owned Demi and uh, was the uh, uh, going to be named the chief medical officer, they didn't want me to practice ER anymore. Okay. At that time, I was like, you know what? I did 25 years. It was good enough. I think we'll we'll wait. Probably the worst decision because you don't you don't realize how important it is as a doctor to be able to help people. And it's not that you don't help physicians and other people in the administrative roles. But you don't get that same satisfaction as being able to take care of us. Sure. And I think over 25 years, you forget that. And I think a lot of people forget that. And that's the original purpose of why you were doing it. So when I say, oh, yeah, chief medical, I, I don't need to practice medicine anymore. And then after a while, it kind of started gnawing at me, which then led me to my second company, which is coaching. Because okay. from a coaching uh, perspective, you get almost that same type of feeling. If you could help somebody change their life and be able to do something and become more successful, it's close to that same feeling, not the same magnitude, obviously, as saving someone's life in the ER, but it does give you that type of satisfaction. Sure. So how long have you had the coaching business now? About four years now. Okay. And what is the typical type of client that you serve? I mean, is it just physicians or no. you had mentioned entrepreneurs before as well? Yeah. No, okay. no, it's the entire gambit. It's healthcare okay. professionals and non-healthcare uh, professionals. It actually uh, came out of number one, what we were talking about, about the ability to be able to help people, but also came out from when you are a chief medical officer, you're responsible for you're, you're really a liaison between the medical staff and hospital administration. And you deal with disruptive physicians, problems that physicians may have. So as they were coming uh, to me, I started getting a better understanding of the importance of them being able to understand how they should be able to, to live their life. And as we mentioned earlier, 
burnout is huge. Sure. And you know that people are start getting starting to get burnt out. Um, I went through a self-development from the time I was an ER doc, because an ER doc, you're, you're a rebel, right? I mean, yeah. you're, you're, you're going in there, you're taking care of stuff, and you're, and you're leaving, right? It's a true command and control type of environment. When you flip over in there to being a chief medical officer and starting there to work with groups, you have to really understand how to deal with people and have emotional intelligence. My emotional intelligence was probably zip at that time. <laughs> so, you know, there's a saying, MD or DO, Dr. Yeah, yeah, sure. So MD is my decision, DO is do as I say. <laughs> well, that's a, that may work in the environment of the ER. It doesn't work in the environment of the C-suite or to be able to get people uh, to do things. So I started my own self-development. And after that, then I started actually the consulting uh, company and uh, developed a coaching model that really deals with leadership. Uh, the philosophy is, is you can't lead anyone else unless you first lead yourself. Sure. And the importance is, is uh, that once you start leading yourself, you'll be able to lead others. So we came up with something called the My Focus model that we use for coaching, not only healthcare professionals, but young entrepreneurs, et cetera. And each letter stands for something. So the M is for mindfulness or mindset. Okay. Now, everybody hears mindfulness and they think we're going to wrap you in a white robe and you're going to climb a mountain and, <laughs> and, and levitate, <laughs> which is not the case. Sure. Mindfulness is just dealing with the ability for you to be able to focus and that. Uh, for you to be able to hone your attention to a certain area. Mindset is uh, just the glasses that you see life through, right? It's your ability to understand uh, how things work from your own uh, beliefs. Talk a lot about habits. The why in the my focus is you, because if you don't change, nothing is going to change. Uh, the F is for fitness. So we take a full gambit. Uh, the first F is for physical fitness. So that's sleep, nutrition and exercise. Second one is emotional. So your 10 cognitive distortions. And the third is spiritual, not religious. We're not converting anyone. Mm -hmm. Although religion isn't bad. It's all the values. Sure. Uh, when you look at uh, the O that's for others and that's the entire emotional intelligence piece that I was talking about. So we go through self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and then uh, the relationship management, which is really all your leadership uh, tenants. Uh, the C is for career. So where is it that you want to be and why do you want to be there? How do you do work-life balance? The U is the ultimate reason why you're doing things or your purpose and the S is strategy. So we go ahead and do that as well as address certain things as it relates to burnout. And that's the model that we've been using. So is burnout, is that kind of your specialty? Does it all kind of, is the, the type of client that you serve, did they start and come to you because they are going through burnout? Uh, no, I, okay. I think that's just an added uh, thing that we actually look at. They come to us, they may come to us for burnout, but they come to us really for that leadership, for that success formula, for that peak performance. Sure. Uh, and then burnout may be part of the deal. So let's do me a favor. Let's define burnout, if you sure. don't mind, because that's a term that we all just think of. You get tired of doing something or you just go through stress. But yeah. but in your definition, what, what would yeah. you say burnout is? Uh, if you go back, you know, burnout's been around for a while. It's been around since 1970. A gentleman by the name of Freudenberger first described it and described it in the people in the caring profession. So that's why it's usually healthcare, teachers, things of that nature. Fast forward a little bit, and there's uh, <clears throat> Christina Maslach considered uh, to really be the the guru, if you will, of, of uh, burnout. Three things for burnout. Number one is emotional and physical exhaustion, okay? Number two is uh, where you have cynicism or you're negative, 
And number three is lack of self-efficacy. And what I mean by lack of self-efficacy, that means that no matter what you do, it's like learned helplessness. You feel it doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to change anything. Okay. So that is the true definition of burnout, okay? Burnout's different than stress. Everybody has stress. That's why it, I asked yeah, because yeah. you it's easy to equate them as the same, but but no, no. they're not. Yeah. Right. Stress, stress is when you feel the stress. Burnout is like you don't care if you feel anything. So it's a, it's a different. So could you even know that you're feeling it, but you still don't care? Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, you, can you be aware of it and still that's still a sign that yeah, you're going yeah, through burnout? Yeah, because that's the last piece. Yeah. All of a sudden, things don't start mattering. Right. 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 And uh, you know, the World Health Organization actually, I think it was in 1990, actually classified burnout as a syndrome, not a disease. There's a difference, right? A syndrome because it really relates to the organization because there are certain factors that will cause uh, burnout. And the factors, if you're in a working type of environment, I call it revamp, just like I did the My Focus model. Mm -hmm. If you revamp your organization, you could avoid burnout. The first R is for relationships. So we know that the quality of our life is directly proportional to the quality of our relationships. So if you have bad relationships at work, not a good uh, sure. thing, right? The E is for equality or equity, right? Everybody wants to be treated uh, fairly. The V is uh, for value, right? Uh, so your values. And sometimes there's a value discrepancy. So sometimes from a physician perspective, uh, not in a maniacal way, but the organization may be interested in finance, whereas the physicians are interested in the quality of care of the patients. So there's a value mismatch sure. there. Uh, the A is for autonomy, and autonomy is huge. And autonomy is the ability for you to be able to do what you want to do with your own skills, with your own team, to be able to go ahead and accomplish your task. A lot of times people will be micromanaged, and that's one of the biggest reasons why people leave an organization is if, if they're micromanaged. Um, and so that's the, the A. The M is monetary and non-monetary uh, rewards. And then the P is productivity. Okay. So those are the five factors within an organization or even within your own company that those are the levers that you could pull in order to help prevent burnout. Resiliency is what the My Focus model actually leads uh, to then is the ability for you to be able to control yourself. Do we have any estimates of kind of how many people out there are actually suffering from burnout? Estimates are over 50%. Uh, for physicians, it was 63% every year. They so do 63% of physicians yeah. are suffering. And 50% of all, all people? All greater well, than 50%. Is that working people. or not? Like so, can, so for anyone listening who's retired, can they go through and suffer burnout as well? Yes. Is it just a different type of burnout to it, us? Yeah, it would yeah. be a different type. It would, and again, it would depend on their environment. Sure. So what are the chronic stresses that are causing them to feel that way? Wow. And a lot of it is, you know, the, the loss of autonomy, the, the loss of purpose. So interesting. So, yeah, I mean, listen, there's a lot to unpack there, because what I'm hearing, uh, Dr. K, is that you have there are business coaches, there are consultants, there are therapists, there are physicians, there are all, all types of people that we could see for certain things. You're kind of incorporating everything together is what I'm hearing. Yeah, uh aside from the true medical piece, right? right so you right. wouldn't come to me for medical things or for true therapy, but you know, the, at least the beauty, and I wish I was smart enough to figure this out when I started the, my focus model, and this is pure happenstance. When you look at the, my focus model, it's really hierarchical from what's most important to least important. Okay. So if you look at it, right. Fitness, the most important thing is your health because you yeah. don't have your health. You don't have anything. Sure. Once you have your health, Next most important thing is to get your mind right. After you get your mind right, the most important thing is relationships. 
careers last. Mm -hmm. If you can get the basis of all of that in the right order and everything firing on the right cylinders, everything falls into place. So how important, so let's go to health and wellness. I mean, how important is that for people? I mean, for me, I mean, I'll tell you personally, I mean, it's, it's a big part of what I do. It's important to me, but not everybody. Obviously we have obesity issues throughout the country and the world. So I guess from a mindset point of view, because everyone thinks of working out as just the physical body, right? Which of course, that's a big part of it. But a lot of it, I would imagine is a mental, kind of a mental focus as well. Can you just kind of Explain oh, yeah. that a little bit. No, and, and I think from, you know, exercise is actually in certain instances better than antidepressants, mm -hmm. right? So so the exercise is not for, for the physical piece. It is for the mental piece as well. And if you look at that focus piece, it's sleep, nutrition, and exercise. We take for granted that sleep piece, right? And everybody says, oh, you know, you, know, you got to hustle, got to hustle. You know, I know, yeah, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Well, you're going to end up being <laughs> dying a lot quicker if you don't sleep. So, you know, over the last few years, people used to think that sleep was just to cure sleepiness. And that's not the case. From a sleep uh, perspective, you actually solidify all the knowledge uh, that you've learned uh, throughout the day. When you sleep, you actually bathe your brain, get rid of amyloids. Now there's a connection between sleep and Alzheimer's uh, disease. If you don't get enough sleep, you increase your risk of coronary artery disease. You throw your sugar off as well, so non-insulin dependent diabetes. Sleep and obesity are tied together in the sense that you're releasing two hormones uh, that control uh, your diet. So there's a huge component in sure. that. And then you go to nutrition, and it doesn't take rocket science mm -hmm. to do it. It's just, it's the difference of us. We have certain habits, and everything that we do, we do for a feeling, right? It's either sure. pain or pleasure, and we're going to take the route of least resistance. But if you look at it, you know, I, I always joked I was going to write a book and wrap it in cellophane. It's 100% <laughs> guaranteed way to lose weight. Page one would be eat less. Page two would be exercise more. And all the rest of the pages would be blank. <laughs> so we know, right? So we have to That's simple, know, right? right? It, it is. I mean, there's a lot more complexity to it. But, you know, I think just important principles. Lean proteins. A lot of vegetables. Stay away from uh, sugars, uh, which are very inflammatory. Stay away from uh, white uh, flour. And if something has a long shelf life, it's going to cause you to decrease your life, right? Okay. You live by those principles, you kind of start getting the basics in there to play. But all of that really needs to be habituated. Let, let's go back to sleep a little bit because I think you, everyone knows about eating, eating healthy, working out. Most people don't do it, but we know about it. Sleep is one of those things that we hear lots of different definitions of and what we should be doing. So I guess in your, from your perspective, how much sleep should we be getting? And is there a truth to the fact that we don't all require the same amount of sleep? Yeah, the not requiring the same amount of sleep is within a certain window. There's a very small percentage of uh, people that need less than the recommended seven or nine hours of sleep. A okay. Night. And that's kind of the magic window. And with science, everything changes, right? Because you may remember when you were younger, don't eat eggs, now eat eggs, right? So, I mean, everything always uh, changes. But sure. right now, the 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 uh, window is between seven and nine hours. Sometimes actually sleeping longer than nine hours has been uh, shown uh, to be a problem as uh, well, okay? So, okay. so that's kind of uh, the window that you need. 
There is a theory that some people are owls and some people are larks, right? So an owl, somebody who stay up later at night, lark is somebody that will wake up earlier. Mm -hmm. So, so there's a, a, there's a test that you could actually take. You could Google it online and see if you're an owl or a lark and decide what are the hours that you have to sleep. Okay. The theory behind that is, is when people were all tribe, when they were tribal, people had to stay up at certain times to watch. Right? Sure. So different people develop. Well, let's say is a lot of that habit. I mean, is it just, you know, maybe from an upbringing, I became, you know, I was the type of person who got up early or, or stayed up late. I mean, is, yeah, that, is it part of that? It, it could be. Yeah. It could be yeah. habit. And they say there's a certain percentage that are owls, certain percentage that are large, certain percentage that are mixed. But I, I think the important thing is the quality of sleep and not to be able to cheat yourself of sleep is the cat. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, like you said, we were told eggs were bad, then eggs were good, right. then they were bad. I guess dieting and eating during the day, we were told you eat lots of small meals throughout the day. Then intermittent fasting came right. and it was about eating just during a certain window. So I guess some of that, and again, you tell me you're the physician, but some of that just has to do with our own body. I mean, is it about understanding ourselves as well? Yeah, I think that's the key. Yeah. I think the key is understanding what are the general principles and what's going to work 100% for one person will not work for someone else. Sure. So I think it's important for you to, to really check in daily, right? It goes to that self-awareness piece that we talked about within the My Focus Month. Mm -hmm. How do I feel today? What do I need to do different? How did I sleep, right? How can I go ahead and increase this? And all you have to do is increase just a little bit, 1% every day, and that'll drive you to where you need to, to be. But it's kind of interesting, you know, one of my partners uh, that was an ER doc, unfortunately, when he was 50, had an MI, and he's fine now, but okay. <clears throat> he had an MI, and I asked him the next day, I says, how do you feel? And he says, you know, I didn't realize how crappy I felt until I felt good. And I think <laughs> a lot of us have this habit, oh, it's normal for me to feel tired. Oh, it's normal for me to have this pain. So we really don't understand how good we could feel if wow. we start taking care of ourselves. So that's just kind of something to remember. That's a great point that you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, so so let's go back to kind of the, the type of clientele that you serve. Um, so anyone listening and watching right now, uh, what are some of the things that they should be, I guess, experiencing in their lives to think, you know what, I should be speaking to someone like you? Yeah, I, I think, number one, if they want to be more successful, I, I think we all think that we could do things on our own. And I'm no different. Mm -hmm. Right. And and that's not truly the case. Uh, sometimes uh, with uh, coaching, uh, whether that be life coaching, business coaching, and really when you look at it in reality, everything is life coaching sure. and executive uh, coaching. Uh, you know, you look at the sports world, somebody will pay a lot of money for someone to tell them, raise your right arm, <laughs> put your leg back before you swing on the ball. And it's acceptable. A lot of times people feel that having a coach shows that they're weak and that's not the case at all. So anybody that wants to be more successful, anyone that wants to be able to go ahead and organize their life, anybody that wants to understand what their stressors are and how they could change that, I think can benefit from any coach. That's a great point you mentioned because I think the athlete analogy is a good one. I mean, you look at the Michael Jordans of the world. I mean, you're, you're Chicago. Right. Uh, from Chicago, uh, Michael Jordan, <laughs> Stephen Curry with a shooting coach. I mean, these are people, these are the greatest players right. in the world. They, they have coaches, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's important. So someone decides they want to reach out to you and, and, and work with you. What stages do you bring? Where, where, where does it start? It, you. It starts actually with an assessment. So okay. we actually do an assessment uh, that measures motivation, okay. behavior, 
and then emotional intelligence. So that emotional intelligence piece that we talked about earlier within the My Focus model is huge mm-hmm. um, because, you know, IQ gets you into the room. It's the EQ that determines how high you're going to go. Sure. And that's an important piece. You know, there's a there's a story, and I'm going to kind of get it wrong, but I think it was the president of uh, of Ohio University was talking uh, to the president of Iowa University and said, be kind to your A students because they're going to come back and they're going to be your professors. <laughs> he said, but be especially kind to your C and D students because they're going to come back and donate $50 million for the new building. <laughs> I love and that. that's the important piece, right? It's very true, by the way. It, yeah. is, it yeah. is, right? There's a difference between uh, being intellectual and being able to communicate with people. So that's kind of the basis where we start. Okay. And then we really start with three questions. What do you want? And that's within each of those areas of the My Focus model. Why do you want it? Because it's one thing to want something, but if you, you truly have to understand why you want something to be able to get you that drive to achieve it. And then are you committed or are you just interested? Because mm-hmm. if you're interested, you'll dabble, right? A dream without a sure. plan is just a dream, right? Yeah. But if you're actually committed to go through the steps, then... then so the first question, what do you want? Not an easy question to answer. No, it isn't. And it takes some self-reflection. Right. And that goes back to the self-awareness because self-awareness is composed of three components. You have you have mindfulness, so you're present in the moment. You're not time traveling to the past or to the future. Also very difficult to do. Right. <laughs> and then the second piece is reflection. So you got to stop and you got to reflect and ask that question. What do I want? And why do I want it? And then the last one is feedback. So what are people telling you? Yeah, I think most of us think we know what we want. But when we, I think we're taught to, to, to say certain things like money, right? I mean, people, you know, young coming out of college, they want money, right? Um, but that's not necessarily the right answer, or at least it, that's just a very vague kind of response, right? Yeah, it, it is. And, and I think you have to go back to when you were a kid. And, and I describe mindfulness and kind of what you're talking about, Stefan, is, is what do we want? When you were a kid, you wanted everything. Sure. Right? Somewhere along the line, they told you you can't have that. Right? <laughs> and they pushed you to conform into to a box, which in, in some ways is good or bad. But, you know, mindfulness is that five-year-old that you have that gets the toy that they wanted for mm-hmm. Christmas and opens it up. And you can't separate. They're not worried about the fighting with Bobby yesterday or, or what spelling test they have on Monday. That's true mindfulness, to be able to do that in the moment. And then you almost have to think like a kid when you want to decide what is it that you want, right? And kind of go outside those boundaries. Because a lot of times we're not driving things by ourselves, right? I mean, the only thing we can control is our thought and our behavior. We can't control other people and we can't control circumstances. But a lot of times if we're not proactive, what ends up happening is, is that we let other people decide what we should be and what we should do as opposed to taking that responsibility for ourselves. That's a great point. Are there certain stages in our lives where we're more likely to go through burnout? I mean, I would imagine, please tell me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that when we graduate college or or come out of high school and start working, we're in a different state, right? Like you said, we kind of want everything, yet we don't know what we want altogether. We are ambitious. We work a lot of hours. We work hard. We're trying to achieve something. And then I would imagine it's a point in our life where either we don't feel the same way because maybe we've attained what we've tried to achieve um, or we're just tired of working or I mean, what is it, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it really is. There is within the physician world. There are peaks. It's usually during residency mm-hmm. and when they're about 10 or 15 years out okay. uh, for burnout. 
But I think that has to do with the amount of stress that actually occurs during those times. Sure. Uh, within the general population, millennials are struggling a lot with uh, burnout. Are they? Uh, In what way? So is it? are they not fulfilled with what they're doing? I, I think they're not fulfilled. I, I think they don't like the micromanagement uh, that's occurring. Mm -hmm. um, they're bouncing around from job to, to job. Sure. And it's kind of... I think everybody, unfortunately, and I'm, I'm no holier than thou, everybody's looking for that happiness. And I think the best meme I've ever seen was a stick figure with <laughs> a guy holding a balloon and it said happiness. And there was another stick figure and said, where'd you get that? And I said, I made it myself. <laughs> and I think we're forgetting that. That's pretty good. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, and that's the catch. So it's kind of stepping back. Everybody, it's it's a very competitive society now. It's very dopamine driven with, with podcasts and not podcasts. I'm sorry, with the Instagram, the cell phones, all, all the social media. Outside, right? Yeah. So so we're we're always on, and we have to be able to pull back and step back and decide what is it that we want to do, not worry about what everybody else wants us to do. Sure. Right? How much of this do you think is in our mind? Because the mind is. I mean, again, I'm telling a physician is the mind is such a powerful thing, right? Yeah. Um, good or bad, depends on how you use it. How much of it would you say really is in the mind versus physical type of burnout? In, in terms of uh, burnout? Yeah, burnout yeah. in general, bur yeah. Bur yeah, bur burnout is all... It, it's all I, mental. I, I, I would say 95%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's let's face it. I mean, everything that we do is is, is mind-driven. Sure. I mean, and, and the mind and body connection is a lot stronger than we had previously thought, right? How we think about stress can determine what hormones we actually release, you know? So, so mm -hmm. the mind really controls everything. That's why that's the key, right? That's why it's, yeah. it's the most important thing that you have to do is get clean about how you think and what you want and how you look at things. And that's the emotional intelligence piece. So you can change your mind? Oh, yes. Is that yes. and 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 I mean I would imagine like any I forget how long they say it takes before a habit is formed but is is the mind the same thing I mean do you have to continuously work on your thinking yes for it after a period of time for it actually to stick yeah and it's not it's not so much the time as the repetition of an act so if you repeat an act enough times then it becomes habituated right okay so when you look at habits forty to fifty percent of what we do on a daily basis is habit. 60 to 70,000 thoughts, depending on who you read. Same habits, same thoughts, same results. Sure. Right? So how do you break those habits? The first way to break a habit is first to understand what the habit is. Again, it goes back to self-awareness because self-awareness gives us a tremendous power, power to change. Sure. If we're not aware of doing something, we're not going to be able to change. Once we figure out what we're doing, we'd be able to change. You know, beliefs which drive our mindset. You know, Carol Dweck wrote a book called Mindset, talks about two different mindsets, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Fixed mindset says, hey, I'm born with these abilities, and if I can't get it, I can't get it. Growth mindset says, I may not be the best, but if I continue to try, I'll go ahead and get better. Sure. You could change that mindset. A belief is something that drives your mindsets, but a belief is something that you believe to be true. So if you believe it to be true, you could believe it to be untrue. And mm -hmm. beliefs and all of our thoughts are nothing more than habits. We all have triggers and habits, and that drives our behavior, right? Sure. So. Interesting. You also mentioned relationships being important. So let's let's dive into that a little bit, if you don't mind. How important is it to have relationships? And is it good to just have a couple of really solid relationships versus knowing lots of people and not having any deep relationships? 
Yeah, no, I, I think it's important to have a, at least some type of solid uh, relationships. I mean, they've done numerous st studies on loneliness, right, and and how loneliness increases uh, the risk of coronary artery disease and things of that nature. We're tribal by nature, sure. right? That's part of the reason why people don't want to give public speeches because they feel that they'll be ostracized, and if they're ostracized and you're not part of the tribe, it goes back to the old mentality. If you're not part of the tribe, somebody's going to eat you, right? So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's the same thing. So relationships are extremely important uh, for that matter. You need to have that support moving forward. Uh, and it, no, it definitely, and that's the entire emotional intelligence piece. The important piece, though, is is you got to get yourself right first. Mm -hmm. That's why when you look at the four domains of emotional intelligence, it's self-awareness and self-management, that's your side. Then you stretch out and start with the uh, relationships for social awareness and relationship management. You also mentioned mindfulness. So things like meditation, journaling, do you find those, are those things that you you, you like to see your your clients yeah, abs yeah. absolutely yeah after after you you had asked originally how we start mm -hmm. so after we do that assessment the first uh, couple of uh, weeks what we actually do is is teach them to start that self-awareness uh, piece and that mindfulness piece and look at their habits go ahead and get a habit log what are the things that you're doing on a daily basis and i'm not talking about going to 7-eleven getting a box of ho-hos and a diet <laughs> coke we're talking about emotional habits sure. how do you look at things what are your triggers? And yeah, writing things down, not so much typing them or dictating them, writing them down kind of puts that problem. It's a different uh, sensation. They say when you're able to write down your goals, theoretically, you're 47% more likely to actually attain them. Hmm. That's just by writing them down. So some magic happens between the two. And reviewing them often is also pretty important. Though, correct, right? correct. And why? Because you just want to keep being aware. Sure, right? sure. Let's also shift now to retirees because, again, I do have a lot of retirees who, who listen to this podcast. Mm -hmm. So I see this often. Someone works their whole life. They have a purpose, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, they retire. We're all excited about that moment. That's what we've been working so hard for. And then it happens. And, and there you are. And Maybe you travel for a year or so and do some of the things you wanted to do for quite some time. And then you end up living a different type of life, much, uh, much different than what you had before. So tell me a little bit about that and what you see as far as whether it's burnout or whether it's just any kind of depression or just kind of not feeling right once you retire. Yeah. And as I get older, I don't like the word retirement anymore <laughs> because what's after retirement? There's death. Well, right? so, and, and you know, listen, I think retirement has been redefined as yes. well. I mean, people start other careers. I mean, you, you know yeah. about that. I mean, so it's redefined. Yeah. And I think that's the importance, right? I, I think the importance is if we're not growing, we're dying. Right. And I think that happens sometimes earlier. It doesn't have to be retirement, you know, and I, I find this a lot with physicians. It's so hard to become a doc that once they finish becoming a doc, they almost stop setting new goals and chasing new mm -hmm. things. And they end up actually working for 30 or 40 years, destroying everything, right? Uh, and destroying their health, et cetera, and just kind of existing. Same thing with retirement. I think you hit it on the, the head. You have to repurpose what you're doing. It's a transition into something different. And it's important. And that transition may be to be more present for your grandkids or to help uh, your, your children more or to volunteer. I, I think that it's that important piece that you talked about. It's that connection uh, with uh, the, the other human beings that's important. If you start having uh, problems, one of the things uh, that a lot of people say to do is go volunteer. Get out of your own mind sure. and help somebody else 
and you'll end up feeling a lot better. So for the retirees, it's really sitting down and asking Stefan those same questions. What do you want for the rest hmm. of your life? Why do you want it? Sure. And are you committed to changing it? So And I think that's for anyone listening who's approaching retirement, that's something they need to think about before they do it. I mean, right. do I want to retire? I mean, do I, in fact, it sounds like a great idea. I feel like I'm at that age, getting a little bored with what I do, but what am I going to do? And is that could be fulfilling enough? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because those that, that go into retirement without purpose, it's a short distance between that retirement and the, the cemetery. I mean, that's been proven because you end yeah. up being depressed. And a lot of that is, is, is because people wrap their identity around what they do. Right. So I'm a doctor or I'm a lawyer or I'm a financial analyst. I'm the, and when that goes away, it you, you feel it and you almost feel like you're unimportant. But it's not that you're that's just a doctor is just what you did. You're still the same person. So you have to set that up and just transition into uh, the next area. Of I think identity, you mentioned a very important thing. I think that's really important identity because we all wrap ourselves around a certain identity. Like you said, whether it's a career whether it was maybe achieving a certain goal, maybe you didn't grow up with a lot of money. Money was very important right. to you. You have it now. That becomes your identity. That could also hurt you. Oh yeah, right. That could really hurt you as far as the way, from a happiness point of view. Um, also the way that you present yourself to other people. Right. Right. No, Is I, that I, safe to say? Uh, no, I agree. I agree, hundred percent. I mean, you hit that spot on. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah, you have to realize that your identity is you, not all of the things that you possess. Right. It's. But we get that goofed up a little bit, right? We look Ooh. at people that are successful because they have X, Y, and Z and from a material thing, but that doesn't guarantee happiness. It doesn't guarantee it at all, right? I right. mean, there are a bunch of billionaires that, that are, aren't very happy. Probably a lot of them, I would yeah. imagine, percentage-wise, quite more than we would probably imagine. Yeah. I used to say in the, in the hospital, to be honest with you, and the, this is not being disrespectful at all, I think the happiest people were, were environmental services, <laughs> the housekeepers. They really were. They knew what they had to do. They walked around. They smiled. You know, life, was, <laughs> life was happy, sure, right? Sure. It wasn't the person that's sitting and trying to figure all kinds of uh, things out. Well, especially when we identify happiness as achieving something, right? right. So you, you're a car enthusiast, so I'll use the car analogy. But everybody listening says, you know, wouldn't it be great to have whatever it is, whatever car they dream of, let's say a Lamborghini. Right. You work yourself up, you have a Lamborghini, you enjoy it for a period of time, and then something happens, right? And it's So what's next? And I guess that's probably tough on people, on, on the billionaires that you mentioned as far as what's next. It's the chase. Yeah. And one of the things that I think we do very bad is, or very badly, is um, we don't enjoy what we have. We're always, you, you said it, this is a society that keeps looking for the next thing. Mm -hmm. And there's a term blissful dissatisfaction that I think <laughs> if we start doing this, it's more, it, it, it helps you a lot more. Blissful dissatisfaction is, is truly enjoy what you have, but then be dissatisfied so that you continue to improve. I think we skip that enjoyment <laughs> piece a yeah. lot. We get something and we say, okay, what's next? Sure. What's next? I will what's be next? happy when, right. when uh, something happens. Arrival, right? arrival. Yeah. Allison. Yeah. Tal, Tal Ben-Shahar, I think from Harvard, if I'm not mistaken, okay. you're exactly right, is that that's the constant uh, thing. I'll be happy when I get at this. I, I, I remember doing that continuously i'll be happy when i make 10 grand more and then 20 grand more oh when this happened it doesn't happen <laughs> you know and that's an amazing thing and i i've obviously heard that several times and the more and more you think about that i think more and more people could relate to that because yeah. we all say that i will be happy when 
Right. I'll be happy when it's Friday. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I have the weekend to enjoy. Yeah. Um, but then that makes Mondays not a whole lot of fun. Yeah. So it, it, it's an interesting thing. And, and I, th I think the important piece there is, is it's the mindfulness and the self-awareness. So you should be happy in the moment right now and not time travel and set up all of the different stipulations in order for you to be happy. It's yeah. The guy with yeah. the balloon. <laughs> right? well you're exactly right about that i think that that's a great analogy dr k this is amazing i mean i for the sake of time um i'll probably stop it there but i think sure. uh, i enjoyed this myself i no, think we I, could I did as well go on well. for hours here so uh so do me a favor tell our listeners and viewers kind of how they can get in touch with you because what i think you do or what i know you do is which is unique from others is that you can touch on all different aspects of what we discussed it's not just how to get your business from one point to another. While you're very experienced in doing that, I'm sure you're great at it. It's also all those other facets that we mentioned that I think are important. So how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, they could get in uh, touch with uh, me on Instagram. They could uh, DM me at uh, Dr. K. Um, they could also get in uh, touch with me uh, via phone. Feel, feel free uh, to text me as a doc. My uh, number was always there. So if we could put it in uh, the show I, notes. I was going to say, I'll put it right in the show yeah, notes yeah, so, that, we, so that, we have it there. That yeah. would be fantastic. And no question, it's uh, too big or too small. I, I enjoy talking uh, to everyone. And you split your time between here in Naples and Chicago? Is that correct? I'm or? actually between here, Scottsdale, and uh, Chicago. My, okay. My son your that son I mentioned is, it, right. is in Scottsdale. And uh, we have a place here in Naples. I've been here since uh, 2020. And then I have a place in Chicago as well. Excellent. Dr. K, thank you for sharing your knowledge. Appreciate having you on. And uh, thanks again. My pleasure.